Welcome to this Sunday's message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. Good to see you all this morning. We're continuing with our series, uh, which we've called Blueprint. Uh, a reminder as we come out of the pandemic, uh, what the foundation realities are of the local church. And we've already spoken about prayer, and we've spoken about being a family together. And I've been invited this week to speak about the presence of God. Okay, these are blueprint realities. These are vital parts of what it is to be the church of God. Okay, let's just pray. Father, thank you so much for the joy of our being together. Thank you for Jake's baptism. Thank you for every life that has said, yes, I want to follow you, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we worship you and we invite your presence right now. We ask for the Holy Spirit to teach us and lead us into truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not going to read a particular Bible passage, but we'll be speaking of several as we go through. Back in the mid-90s, a lot of people flew from all over the world, actually, uh, to a town in Pensacola, Florida. And uh, they queued, I'm told, I never went, but I'm told they queued for like three hours often just to get into the building in Florida heat. They just wanted to be there from all over the world. Why on earth was that? Well, it was said that there was quite a phenomenal sense of the presence of God in the church in Florida. And many, many people became Christian. A great friend of mine, Arnold Bell, who's uh, something of a theologian, he, he flew out there and went there and uh, he went to the meeting and he said, actually found in the meeting, it was not impressed with things that had happened. Uh, he's got a theological twist and he's kind of watching points and listening. And, and then he said, well, I've come all this way. And people were going forward to become Christians. And he's been a Christian for many years, but he, he felt well, it's this, this kind of intensity of God's presence there. And he told me afterwards, he went forward, and this awareness of the presence of God was totally overwhelming. Just extraordinary sense that God, God is in this place. The sense of his being here was phenomenal. And that's why people were flying literally from all over the world just to be there. They wanted to be there. A group of New Frontiers evangelists went together, and a whole crowd of them went, and they had an extraordinary experience of the presence of God. Um, Mike Sprenger, who was one of them, told me afterwards, he said, I felt while I was there, God promised me that God's presence was going to break out in the UK in that sort of way soon. And he felt that God said to him that on the journey home, as they, as they left the States, as they go north and they across New England, he said, I felt God said to me, the wind speed will grow remarkably. It's a real sign to you. And uh, on the screen, on the plane, you sometimes can see these things, wind speed and so on. And he said as he was being flown across in the night flight back to the UK, and uh, he said as, as they came to that point, he said he, he just raised his hand. He said the air stewardess kept coming to him. Is there anything? Like, no, it's okay. It's right. No, I don't want anything to, to the air stewardess. He just kept on raising his hand. And then he looked up. And as they crossed over uh, from New England, the speed went just went bananas on the plane. He said, wow, here we go. And he felt, hey, God's going to do this wonderful thing in the UK. I remember we were at Stonely Bible Week, which some of you know what that is, but some of you don't. That was a camp we used to hold. And uh, in about 94, 95, 
we were gathering about 15,000 people who came with tents and caravans from all over the UK and camped at Stonely, which is near Coventry, had a great week of worship and prayer and teaching. And one year, that year, the presence of God was so phenomenal, so extraordinary. And there were about 15,000 there. And the sense of God was so amazing. The next year, we couldn't do it in one week because 30,000 wanted to be there. So we went into two weeks. And the presence of God is a wonderful, wonderful thing that draws us, that makes us feel, that's what I came into. I became a Christian, but there's an intensity here. There's something more than I've experienced normally. The presence of God. It's one of the promises of the Bible, something that we can enjoy. I remember back in the 1970s, there was a, a church in South Chard. Where's South Chard? Well, I've been near there. You can drive past and blink and miss it. It's in, it's in Somerset, I think. And uh, there, there was a church there where the presence of God just became remarkable. And people flew, well, flew, they drove uh, from all around the UK just to go to South Chard. It became kind of famous. The presence of God was there. In fact, I once met an American who had flown over from the UK and I saw his itinerary. And his itinerary said, Jerusalem, Rome, South Chard. <laughs> this is crazy. God, God's presence was so remarkable. Lots of people got healed. Just, just God, God was there. God's presence was there. Just come back to the Bible. What, what do we mean by God's presence? Well, let's just give a quick overview. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And his presence was manifest. He created a man in his image, his likeness. He called him my son. He was in the image of God. He was to represent God. He was to have Eve as his wife, multiply, fill the earth with his offspring, and bring the representation of God all around the world. That was God's intention. He made a human being to represent him and to make him known across the whole world. That was God's intention. Tragically, that couple turned away from God. And God said, if you do that, you'll die. You'll die. You'll miss the point. Your whole point will be lost. And yeah, he died. He, he, he lost fellowship with God. In fact, if you look in Genesis and chapter 5, you'll find different names mentioned. At the end of each one, it says, and he died. And he died. Eight times in chapter 5, and he died. These different names. Well, this man lived, and then he died. And this man lived, and then he died. Then this man lived, and he died. Death was never the intention of God. That destructive thing. The book of Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, arguably the wisest man who ever lived. And he said, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Futility. The world's futile. He says, you earn your money, you save it, you build it up, and you die. What's the point? This brilliant man said, what is the point of life? Because, well, yeah, we've lost the way. The world's in chaos. We looked at that a few weeks ago, looking at Romans 8. The whole earth is in chaos. Wars, rumors of wars, plagues. We're in, a, we're in a world of death, which God said would happen if you turned away. But we've also been singing and celebrating that God is merciful. So the Christian has a message, and it's all found in the Bible. It's the story of the Bible. Just read a wonderful book called How the Bible 
changed the nations. And how more and more people, when, when the Bible became available, oh, I see. Terrific story of a, uh, I read yesterday of a, a tribe in India that was completely cut off. They were headhunters. They didn't even have a language written down. And a missionary went in and helped them to learn their language, get it written down and understand what life was about. No one even cared for them. The caste system in India said, ah, oh, they're just untouchable. But Christianity said, no, there's hope for you. You can know God. You need to learn to read. You need to learn to understand. And it's just an incredible story of all the things that came out of that tribe. Extraordinary people that have emerged and gone worldwide as they've gradually understood truth, truth, truth. You see, the Bible tells us what life is all about. It gives you the understanding of this chaos we live in. There's hope in the midst of this chaos. There is a, a way maker. There's a one who turns on the light, one who changes everything for you. A God who opens your eyes and says, oh, I see. Because, yes, I remember when I, got, when I became a Christian when I was 16. I didn't know there was a God before. I suddenly thought, oh, I see. Now everything falls into place. Not that I suddenly knew everything, but I, I could now understand what life was about. The Bible tells us then that God didn't leave us as we were. He began to initiate a relationship with one man, a man called Abraham. And it says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. This God who'd said, you're all going to die. And people just dying, living, dying, living, dying, living, dying. And God came to one man and revealed himself. The God of glory revealed himself to Abraham and made him promises. He said, through your seed, through your family, I am going to bless all the nations of the earth. I'm going to work through you. That's the way God chose to do it. I'm going to work through this family, through this, this seed. And Abraham had a son, and this promise was made to him. This is going to happen. And then Isaac, Jacob, and 12 sons, and they become a nation, a seed, a, a, a people, a family. And they become slaves in Egypt because of detail we won't bother to go into but for some 400 years, and God told Abraham, this is going to happen. And then I'll bring them out. I'll bring them out. I will bring out my purpose. And through this nation, what we now know as the Jewish nation, it was God's intention that through this people, I'm going to bless the world. And they go for 400 years, and they become slaves. And the hostility becomes greater and greater from the Egyptian nation until firstborn are being slaughtered. Terrible chaos. And then one child is born, Moses. And there comes a day in Moses' life when he's walking and he sees a bush that's burning. And yet it's not just an ordinary fire. In desert conditions, you might get bushes that go up in smoke. But this one wasn't going up in smoke. It kept on burning and burning. And there's a kind of glory about it. And it says Moses went to see this site. And when he got near to it, to his utter amazement, a voice spoke to him out of the bush. And the presence of God is so great that he's on his face before God. He realizes God's God has come to me and speaking to me. And he gives Moses instructions. You are going to bring this people out of Egypt. And you know the story of Moses. You know the story of the plagues and the extraordinary demonstrations. God came in power and demonstrated his glory. He showed who he was. Moses first went to Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? <laughs> I don't know the Lord. Why should I obey the Lord? 
And the rest of the book of Exodus is God's answer to that question. Who is the Lord? It's like God says, I'll show you who the Lord is. And these phenomenal demonstrations of power, extraordinary displays of glory. And so ultimately, the whole nation, that's by this time two million people, are brought out of Egypt. The Red Sea opens them. Yeah, it's supernatural. We believe in a supernatural God. If you're left with the world's gods, the world's plans, provisions, education, you don't find the answer. You need to find someone from outside of this death that we're living in. And God came and called these people, and they, they were brought to Mount Sinai. And there God made a covenant with them. And when they arrived at Mount Sinai, it says the mountain shook. Imagine a mountain shaking. The whole mountain shook. It says there was thunder, and there was lightning. There was burning at the top of this mountain. There's a trumpet that grew louder and louder, and God spoke. And the Israelites said, we can't handle this. Moses, you go and talk to him. This is just too breathtaking. God, God who had not been known, is now speaking to a nation. And two million people heard the voice of God, and it scared the life out of them. And they said to Moses, you go. Moses went up into the cloud, into the presence of God. And God made a promise to him, many promises. And gave him what, he said, you're going to be my special people. You're my special treasure. You're the people I've got to, I'm giving my purposes to. It's like, it's like I'm, I'm taking you on. Out of Egypt, I call my son. He uses most intimate language. He's like a son to me. He even says, you're like a wife to me. It's like, I, you mean everything to me. I'm, I'm investing all my promises in you. I'm going to work through you. Like I told Abraham, I'm going to work through you to bless all the nations of the earth. I am going to work through you. I have, my eye is to the Chinese, the Mexicans, the Russians. I will bring my presence to the nations. I'm going to start with you. You're with my, I, my purpose is with you. And he makes these wonderful promises. He says, I bless you. I'm going to take you to a special land. My eye will be upon you, and you'll keep multiplying. He makes these wonderful promises to them. Meanwhile, down in the valley, because Moses is up there for 40 days, Quite a long time to wait for a guy. And these two million people say, we don't know what's happened to Moses. And amazingly, they make a kind of a god. And Aaron says, give me your gold, give me your rings. They had gold and rings. They'd taken Egyptians and given them stuff as they left. And they made a golden calf. And Aaron said, this is your god. And they worshipped this golden calf. And they said, you have brought us out of Egypt. Absolute nonsense. And God is talking to Moses while this is happening down in the valley. And, and, and he says, what's this people? This people you brought out. And Moses, no, no, they're your people who you brought out. I said, this people, you've done it, your people. No, no, you brought them, you brought them. And you get Moses, this, this wonderful man of prayer, holds on to God. No, no, you did it, they're your people. You must bring them in. You must take them. And God says, okay, okay, I will do it. But listen, my angel will go with you. You'll have the land. It'll be a land of milk and honey. Uh, my angel will give you success in all the conflict that will happen to take that land. 
But um, because of this, I'm not coming with you. My presence isn't coming with you. And Moses is an extraordinary guy. I've recently written a book about him. He says, I'm not going anywhere without your presence. If your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going. But I've sent also my angel. You can have the land. I promise you the land. You can have the land. I'll give you success and victory. You'll get everything you wanted, but I'm not coming. Moses says, well, we're not going anywhere then. Because it's your presence. It's your presence. And they said this. This is what makes your people distinct. That your presence goes with us. That's what makes us different to every other nation. We've got God with us. If we haven't got God with us, what's the point? And Moses pleased with God. And God listens. <laughs> and God says, okay, I'll come with you. Thank God for Moses. He said, no, we must have. That's the whole point. We, the earth needs the presence of God. The nations need the presence of God. It's no good us just having the land. No good just having stuff. We've got to have God. So I'm not going to go if you don't come. And so God says, okay, I'll come. I'll come with you. And they're traveling and they've got tents. And then you read this. God said, I want my tent among you. It's called the tabernacle. I, I want to, they're, they're a people living in tents on a journey. And God says, I'm going to literally be among you. Not just at the top of the mountain, which is so scary. My presence is going to come and actually be in this tent. The glory of Sinai is going to be in the tent. It's like, you've got, it's like you've got portable Sinai. You've got the presence of God among you. Your tent's there, your tent there, my tent's here. I'm being among you. And you can read all about it, Exodus chapter 40. They, they put up the tent. And when it's completed, they, every detail, have lots of details in how this tent should be. And when they completed it, it says, the glory of the Lord fell upon this tent. It was just filled with glory, filled with the presence of God. It was all over it and in it and through it. And Moses couldn't go inside even because the glory of God filled it overflowingly. And whenever they moved, they had this special way of taking the tent down and carrying the presence of God with them as they moved from place to place. God was manifestly among them. And so this is, if you like, the first stage in God's purpose to fill the earth with his blessing. The presence of God is with this people. That's his plan. That's his program. God intends being with his people. And that's the first thing. If we read the story, you'll find that God is with these people. Out of Egypt I've called my son. It's a wonderful story how God protected them, looked after them, brought them to the land. God's presence. Now what does that mean for Christians in the New Testament? I mean, this is the Old Testament. It's about the Jewish people in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, in the New Testament you see this. You find that John's Gospel, that's the fourth Gospel in our Bible, starts absolutely wonderful. It starts like this. It says, in the beginning, which is deliberately tying you back to Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1 starts, in the beginning, God. Now John, in the New Testament, chapter 1 says, in the beginning, the Word, that's a, that's a name for Jesus actually, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the New Testament, you begin to understand more of what the Bible introduces as the Trinity. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'll come on to you. Now, they're all actually, you can find them in the Old Testament. Yes, you can find them in the Old Testament. But it's in the New Testament it all becomes fully manifest. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this is someone who is with God, but is himself also God. Jesus. This man who was born in Nazareth as a baby, and we'll go on to see what this extraordinary person was. He was with God. And then he says in the same chapter, the word became flesh and dwelt. And the word that's translated dwelt in many of our Bibles is the word tabernacled. So when he's writing this, he's tying it back to this Old Testament story. The word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us and the next phrase is this, and we beheld his glory. Also, oh, it's, it's that language of the Old Testament again then. It's no longer a tent made of goat skins. It's a human being. This is God coming now in another way, which he has forecasted many times in the Old Testament, in a human body. God is determined that his presence will be in the earth. And this is the next step. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory. Radiance. What does it mean? Well, radiance, it really means like a, like a sunbeam. You know, in England, you sometimes see sunshine. And you, and you sometimes see as you're, you know, you can see it driving down the motorway sometimes. You look up and there's cloud, as ever. And then, hey, you just see this sunbeam. It's quite remarkable. It's a gap in the clouds. It's this beam. This, the, what, is the, what is that radiance? It's the radiance of the sun. But what is it? Actually, it's the sun shining through. It is actually the sun. But it's the, you can see it. And the Bible says Jesus is the radiance. It's, it's God coming to us where we are. This is God coming to us where we are. And the Bible says no one can look at the sun, but we do see Jesus. You can't see God, but you can see Jesus. He's the radiance. And then it says this, he's the exact representation, exact image. It's the same word that's used when, when somebody came to Jesus and said, do we pay taxes or not? And Jesus said, show me a coin. So they give him a coin. And he says, whose image is that? And they say, Caesar's image. He says, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay to God what is God's. Whose image? What does that mean, image? Well, they would take molten metal. They would take a likeness of Caesar and stamp it in. And what you've got there is what you've got there. He's the exact image. And Jesus said this. I, well, Philip said it to him at one time. Show me the Father. Jesus said this, He that has seen me has seen the Father. I'm the exact image. I'm the exact likeness. See, we have a God and we know what he's like. You might say, well, who can know what God's like? I tell you exactly what God's like. Jesus is the exact image. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, God has spoken in a son. So why doesn't God say, he has spoken? 
Why doesn't God speak? He has spoken. God has spoken in the Son. God has spoken. You need to look and see what he said. How he lived. God has spoken. When you meet God one day, you say, why didn't you speak? I did speak. I told you. I spoke in a son. Jesus came from glory, took on human form, breathtaking life. And he that has seen me has seen the Father. The life, we're told in John's Gospel, the life was manifested. We beheld his glory. It says in John, what we've heard, what we've seen, what our hands have handled. See, Jesus invited 12 guys to be with him. They left their nets to be with God. Now, they didn't know that at first. They left their nets to go with this guy who they'd never seen anybody like him before. Even the enemies, they sent soldiers to go and capture him. And it says the soldiers went to capture him and they're listening to his speaking. And they just, they just spellbound. And they go back and they say, well, where is he? They said, no man ever spoke like this man. No man ever spoke like this man. There are phrases in English language all over that people use today are not vaguely Christian. They're phrases that Jesus used. Turn the other cheek. They said, it's Jesus. All sorts of phrases that are in the modern... Jesus said them. Jesus said some amazing things. Extraordinary things. I mean, not only said them. It was phenomenal. These guys got to be with Jesus. Peter left his net, so I want to be with you. And the day after day, imagine what it was like. He chose 12 of a growing crowd. The crowds were growing. It says at one point, you couldn't even enter a town. So many people wanted to be near him. Crowds came through, the, people came through the roof just to get near him. Get near to Jesus, get near. People were coming from all over. Read the stories. They came from town to town to be near Jesus. Why? Because of his extraordinary love and power. You know, people saw lepers come and they run away. Jesus walked straight into 10 lepers. He walked into people. You don't go near those people. Other people said, get rid of those kids. No, no, bring them to me. I'm showing you what God is like. Unclean lepers, I love them. I'm for them. That's why missionaries still go to... I was involved in Mumbai with a group reaching out to lepers on the streets in India. Why? Because they know Jesus. They know Jesus. Other people are saying, keep it. No, 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 we're going in. What are you doing? Well, we know Jesus. His presence is going, it's going, it's going. But this Jesus, they lived with him. They, were, they watched him. At one time, the crowds were so great. And the disciples said, look, they've been hanging around for three days. They're getting hungry. Send them away. And Jesus said, you feed them. <laughs> five, that's 5,000 of them. A man called D.A. Carson, who's a brilliant theologian, it says 5,000 men, the actual text says, and women and children. He says probably 20,000. 20,000 people are hanging around Jesus and they haven't eaten for three days. And he says to the disciples, you feed them. I said, we've got a few loaves here. And he just said, I thank my father, feed them. I can imagine these disciples thinking, see, they, they began to share his life. 
that was sometime, somehow caught up in his life. Steve was talking earlier about baptism. We're getting caught up in his life. We say goodbye to the old life. We want a new life. These disciples were getting caught up with Jesus. And so he said, you feed them. Wow, well, we've seen you do some stuff, but I can imagine Simon Peter going up to the first one saying, right, mm, bit for you, <laughs> bit for you. And then, hey, wait a minute, what's, what's, ha- what's happening? Hey, what's happening here? Jesus can feed 5,000, 20,000. Somehow, so can we. Some, we're, caught up, we're caught up with this. We're caught up with this. We're with him. I mean, Jesus shows us God. There's a guy living, he's living among the, the tombs. And they can't chain him up because he keeps breaking the chains. He's full of demons. He's full of wickedness. He's like wickedness personified. He says, I've got a legion of demons in here. And they're crossing the lake to get to him. And the lake starts a massive storm. And these men, some of whom are professional fishermen, are terrified. They say, how are we going to die? And Jesus turns around and says, shush. And the storm goes. Whoa, what, what kind of man is this? The storm just stopped because he said, shush. And then he gets to the other side. And this poor man is just totally wrecked. Totally wrecked. No one can He's screaming. And Jesus sets him free. Just completely sets him free. And the story ends with him clothed and in his right mind. Wow. He that has seen me has seen the Father. This is what God is like. God comes to trouble people. God sets them free. God's full of mercy. He'll cross, he only goes, only goes to one person. Cross to that one guy, goes back again. You mean Jesus is that interested in one person? You may be here this morning thinking, I don't understand life. I've tried the drugs the doctor recommends. They're not doing it for me. I'm losing sleep. I'm a mess. Jesus is the kind of person that will cross the lake just to be with you. Just to come to you. I can't thank God enough that he came to me. I could have missed it. I could have missed it. My parents were not Christian. I don't have any Christian background. But he came to me. He can come to you. He can come to you. Change everything for you. Turns the light on clothed in your right mind you just want to follow him he did all sorts of incredible things and then one day you find it in John's gospel chapter 13 imagine these guys were in the morning when they wake up in the morning because they're all on the road with Jesus they're following him around they're sleeping rough wherever it says the son of man's got nowhere to lay his head he's just sleeping rough he's traveling around all over Israel going from town to town, town to town. They're they're with him, this traveling band of people. Imagine when you wake in the morning, I wonder what's going to happen today. Man alive. When he raised that kid from the dead, he stopped that funeral. He healed that lame guy. Imagine being Simon Peter. Imagine being Simon Peter. Wonder what today's going to bring. It's so exciting. I'm living with God. Three years of living with Jesus. We touched and handled. John said, I leant on him. <laughs> we, had, we were with God. God was with us. 
John 13, Jesus says, little children, I'm with you a little longer. I beg pardon? I'm with you a little longer. What do you mean, a little longer? What do you mean? Imagine Simon Peter, what do you mean a little longer? I mean, you're my life now. I've left my nets to be with you. You see, to be a Christian in the Bible, it wasn't you go to a place on Sunday mornings and maybe a midweek thing. To be a Christian is to be with Jesus. That's the whole deal. That was the deal. I've left everything to be with you. He chose 12 to be with him. Come on, to be with you. And you're going away, what are you talking about? That must have been absolutely terrifying. What do you mean you're going away? Then he says this, don't let your heart be troubled. I won't leave you orphans. I'll come to you. What? You're, you're coming. Oh, it's okay, guys. He's coming back. Jesus, you must never say things like that to me again. What do you mean you were going? It's okay, guys. He says he's coming back. He's coming. Oh, he's coming back. Thank God for that. He's coming back. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, two things maybe. First of all, he says, you can't come where I'm going. Because he knows he's going to a cross. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's got to deal with our great problem. Our great problem is alienation from God who is holy. And we're sinners. We like sin. We prefer sin to being in church. We'd rather be somewhere else, thank you. And we're messed up. We've got stain. We're disqualified. We can't come into the presence of God. We've, we've, finished, we've had it. Now, the Old Testament had prepared for this because it talked about you have to have a sacrifice. A lamb has to die to take away the guilt. And Jewish history is full of this. You have to have a sacrifice. And Jesus is saying, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. That's what he came to do. He came to show us the Father, but he also came to lay down his life. In fact, some of these Gospels, Mark's Gospel, about a third of it is all about the cross. The cross is the central, of the, it's a central thing about Christianity, the cross. What a crazy religion to hang up a, a, a means of execution as the thing we all rally to. Whether it's a jangling thing around your neck, or whether it's a top of St. Paul's Cathedral, or the front of some cathedral, the cross, the cross, the cross. It's like the guillotine. It's like a hangman's noose. Imagine having a hangman's noose as the great thing we hold up. Jesus was slaughtered. Jesus died on the most wicked way of killing people you could ever imagine because he took our guilt, he took our shame. Jesus said, I'll stand in your place, I'll pay the ransom. Your guilt, I'll take it. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So Jesus died in our place, I've come to do this. I've come to pay the price. The very beginning when his ministry started, John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the whole world. So he brought the presence, but he also needed to get rid of that thing that stopped, that kept us from God. If you're not a Christian, you don't like being around holy people. You don't like being in holy places. 
we need, our, we need to be dealt with our sin forgiven. And the wonder is Jesus did it. He said, I, I won't leave you, I'll come to you. Two ways. First of all, he rose from the dead. What a day that must have been. He rose from the dead. That's the wonder of Christianity. Death is beaten. Death is overcome. He rose from the dead. It's an extraordinary miracle. And when he rose from the dead, he said, Mary stumbled on him. It's the Easter story. Mary Magdalene. It's Jesus. He's alive. And he says this, go tell my brothers. He never called them brothers before. They're disciples, even called them friends. But now he calls them brothers. My brothers, my family. My family. And then the very first time he gathers them, it's wonderful. They're at Galilee, they try fishing, and Jesus is on the shore making breakfast for them. It's <laughs> ridiculous. All these guys, all, they all ran away. When it came to the cross, Simon Peter said, I don't know him, I'm not with him, this is a scary place to be. I'm not here, no, I don't know him at all. I don't know. And he cursed and swore, said, I do not know Jesus Christ. The same Jesus makes breakfast for him. He gathers the scattered flock. That's what he's doing today. The flock's somewhat scattered. The virus has scattered us. Some of us feel a bit ashamed. Come on, Peter, do you love me still? You know I love you. Come on, Peter, do you really love me? You know I love you. He, well, he, he's just looking for a love relationship again. But then once more, he's going to be taken. But he said, I won't leave you orphans. And on the day of Pentecost, they're waiting in an upper room. 120 of them. They're scared. Jesus isn't around. What's the Christianity going to be? Is that a religion of people who've got a vague memory of what it used to be like when God was around? A kind of fading memory of what it was like to have God with us. Is that why they write the Bible? Hey, write it down. For goodness sake, write it. What did he say? Oh, yeah, he said that. Don't forget he said that. And then what about that miracle? Oh, yeah, don't forget. Oh, gosh, we got this. At least we've got this memory of what it was like when God used to be around. Some have settled for that. Some have settled for that. But this is a book about when God used to be around. And you can study it and read it. It's fascinating when God used to be around. But they waited. And they're waiting in this upper room. And suddenly, there's a sound of a mighty, rushing wind and fire falls on them. And they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. I can imagine Simon Peter saying, he's back, he's back. They're all filled with the glory of God. And you, and you can read on. If you read on into uh, the Bible, read into the book of Acts, what do you find? What do you find? It's like Jesus is still around. He's still doing the miracles. People are still thrilled with Jesus. Thousands are gathering. And, and Philip is in Samaria, but signs and wonders are happening. And Stephen's over here and signs and wonders are happening. And Peter's walking along and people are being healed even as his shadow goes over. The what's going on here? Jesus is back. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The presence of God by the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of God. God the Father first sending his Son to pay the price to show us what God is like. The same God who sent his Son has sent his Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to be with us. To be with us. So that God's purpose is being fulfilled. God is in his church. We are now, the Bible says, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us, individually, and then corporately. Every one of us, individually, can draw near to God. You can be in his presence. You can sit at his feet, where his love surrounds you and makes you complete. You can enjoy living with God, individually. Experience him. Know that his spirit is in you with love and joy and peace. Stuff that we can't produce of ourselves, but his spirit can produce it in me. If I'm full of the spirit, I'm full of love. When I'm full of the spirit, I'm full of joy. Because that's the fruit of the presence of God on the inside. That's what God's promised us. And then when you come together, together you become the temple of the spirit collectively. We've been experiencing that, I think, more and more of late as a local church. That's happened to a number of local churches. When God suddenly comes, it's not you have to be special, you just have to make room for him. It's not for the specially qualified. Simon Peter and these guys were useless. They denied they even knew him. He still prepared breakfast for them. God will come. God will come. We're feeling it more and more as a church. I'm feeling it. I've been with you five years now. I feel increasingly the sense of God's presence with us. Men's prayer yesterday doubled in size. What's going on here? God was there. The evening prayer meetings. Whew, last Wednesday, presence of God was wonderful. Something's happening, beloved. God is moving upon us. God's, when many of us have prayed for a greater intensity of his presence. You can know his presence alone. I enjoy worshipping him every morning. I sing to him. I enjoy him. Just love it, Lord. Love it. I love you being with me. I love singing about Jesus. I love singing about his cross. I wish we sang more about the cross here and more about Jesus. It's the cross where it all happened. That's where we should be celebrating. He's done it. He's done it. He's done it. He's taken away my guilt so I can come to him. I can be in his presence. Because by one offering, he's perfected us for all time. We can come to him through the blood of Jesus. We're accepted because he died. Because he was justified by being raised from the dead and carried us with it. We baptized them into death. We raised them into justification. God's done it. God's done it for us. We can know his presence more and more. The elders wanted this to be one of our blueprint values. Prayer, family, presence. Presence. Church without presence is a bit boring. Church with presence is quite remarkable. All sorts of things happen. Healings happen. Prophesyings happen. Words of knowledge happen. Things happen because God's with us. God's purpose to restore his people is happening. God's doing it all over the world. 
In Iran, there were 400 Christians in Iran a few years ago. There are now 2 million Christians in Iran. I have friends who stayed on in Afghanistan. I stood in a circle of friends recently. We held hands and we said, let's remember Pete and Barbie. Are like we're standing, they said, no, we're going to stay. They're in Kabul. They keep on witnessing to people about Jesus because it's a dark place and they're bringing light. Hey, beloved, we're the people of God. God wants to bring light into our schools, into our town, into our council. God wants to affect culture. That's the wonderful thing I read about this in this book yesterday. Affected a headhunting tribe. Transformed them as the truth has come in. Good news of Jesus and the presence of God. Let's keep asking him, Lord, come Lord, come Lord, let your presence be amongst us. We want to make room for you. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. We want to enjoy his being with us. Okay, our time's nearly gone. Perhaps the band could come up, please. Lord, we thank you so much that you want to manifest your presence with us. We pray that you will do it more and more, that we might know the wonder of living our lives with God, just knowing you're around, enjoying your presence. Bless your word to us, we pray, Father. Come amongst us and glorify your great name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from the King's Church, Mid-Sussex. To connect with us online, visit tkc.org.uk. We hope you'll join us again soon.